so the only plan left was for me to write the check out of my own bank account and pay the mortgage payment. And, and I thought, you know what, I can do this. It, it was $15,000 a month. So I wrote the check and I thought, you know, you know, this probably won't last long. We'll get through this pretty quick. Uh, it was about uh, three years, maybe three and a half years later when I finally wrote the last mortgage check. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host Jerome and I've got Brian Burke with me today. How are you man? I'm doing great Jerome. Thanks for having me on today. Thanks for coming on. It sounds like you've got a really interesting conversation to take us through related to a deal you did back in the last recession. But before we get to that, if listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, geez, through our website is probably the best way, uh, praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. I'm also active on the biggerpockets.com forum, so you can uh, find me there a lot as well. Awesome, awesome. And so, Brian, will you do me a favor and take the listeners kind of through your background and how you arrived at this place? You guys have been doing some really big stuff, and you're really seen as a thought leader in the space. So we're grateful to have you here, but give them a little bit of your experience and background if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, I, I started out like, like anybody would start, right? I, I had nothing. I had no experience, no money, no connections, no real estate knowledge and figured that, you know, why not invest in real estate? So uh, I started when I was 20 years old by buying my first rental property. I didn't even own my own house yet. Managed to get it for no money down uh, without taking any money out of my own pocket. And that was my first real estate investment. After that, I started uh, flipping houses and, and buying foreclosures and flipping foreclosures through the 90s and then uh, continued that through the uh, 2000s. We, I, I grew pretty substantially kind of in the early 2000s, backed off in the mid 2000s because uh, you know, I saw an economic collapse coming. Thankfully, uh, we didn't get hurt too bad in that collapse and then uh, and then when the economy tanked, I decided it was time to really grow. And that's when we took the business into overdrive, started raising a lot of money from investors to buy tons of foreclosures. We were flipping about 120 houses a year, bought about 130 rental houses in the San Francisco Bay Area at the very bottom of the market in 2010 and 11. Uh, and then, uh, you know, turned our focus to uh, multifamily and, and, you know, been in multifamily for about 18 years now. And, uh, we really grew that business, and that's our primary business now. Is we buy uh, apartment complexes that are 150 units and larger. Uh, we've uh, bought about uh, uh, 3,000 units, and uh, just last year crossed a half a billion dollars in uh, in real estate that I've purchased in my career. So it's been a long road from uh, from zero to thought leader. <laughs> wow! So, do you buy in California still? Or where you heck no. <laughs> <laughs> Who would buy in California? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. No, we, we're uh, we're active all across the U.S. Uh, uh, out except for California. We're uh, in Arizona, Texas, Georgia, and Florida. The most, uh, the largest concentration of our portfolio is in the Atlanta, Georgia market. Uh, but we do own in uh, I think five five or six states right now. Awesome, awesome. And so you said, you know, I, I can't skip over this. So you went into overdrive in the middle of the recession. How were you able to get access to capital? at that time when everybody was kind of pulling back and they didn't know when it was going to stop going down. And it was so hard. I got to tell you, I mean, I, the, I had a few things going for me. Number one is I had 20 years of experience in the business uh, and I could leverage off of that track record. Number two, we had a really solid team in place and a great strategy. And our strategy was designed to take advantage of the dislocation in the market in an, um, in an economic collapse. I mean, my whole business up to that point had been designed for that exact environment and it was just finally time for it to really come into its own. So I think between, you know, the, the great uh, strategy that we had and the experience was what it took to get capital. But believe me, it was so difficult. It was so difficult. Uh, you know, we, we raise at the very best time to buy single family homes as rentals was probably 2010, 2011 and 2012. And, you know, we raise enough money to buy about $15 million worth of houses, but it was so difficult to raise even that. And everybody was like, oh, it's too early. The market's still falling and, you know, all, all kinds of excuses not to invest. And I'll tell you what, if, if I could have, uh, if I could have raised a hundred million dollars, I could have spent every dime of it. And, uh, and, and you and me wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. I'd be living on a beach somewhere, but you know, so the story goes, it was, it was really tough to raise money. We did what we could and, you know, and, and here we are. So were you in California or did you do that from Texas? No, we're, uh, I'm based in California. We, uh, our office is in, uh, as north of the San Francisco Bay Area, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. So, you know, being based in Northern California, we were uh, at the time in our single family strategy focused in the Northern California market, basically from San Francisco to Sacramento uh, to Mount Shasta, anything in that triangle uh, we were buying. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. And so... During the ramp up, you bought something, right? 2008, 2009 that didn't go so well, maybe? Well, yeah, we, I bought an apartment complex in 2009. And, you know, I thought it was the ramp up. It was just a little bit early. I think we closed in early 2009. So the, the real pain hadn't started yet. It's funny how, you know, that, that economic collapse was really caused by real estate. Real estate caused the broader economy to, to collapse. Real estate began uh, collapsing in 2005. Most people you know, didn't realize it came that early, but I can tell you it was right around August of 2005. I remember it well is when it was like a light switch got flipped and all of a sudden the whole real estate climate changed and, uh, and prices began to fall. Or at first, you know, it was like fewer buyers and then it was more concessions and then it was prices starting to fall. And then it was foreclosure starting to rise. And by the time 2008, 2000, early 2009 came along, it was well underway. Prices had fallen dramatically and real estate was essentially half off. And, and I thought that was a great time to buy. So I bought a property, a 60 unit apartment complex. 
uh, in early 2009 for about half of what the guy had paid that bought it before me. He was in foreclosure. The lender had taken it over because he wasn't making his payments. And I, I, I bought it for half off. I thought it was the deal of the century and I was the most brilliant guy around. And uh, I got taken to school about six months later when the whole economy collapsed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so you bought, was this your first apartment deal of that size? This is the first big one that I bought. You know, I had bought apartment complexes before, but smaller, you know, I had 16 units, 11 units, four units, you know, just a lot of smaller stuff. This was the biggest one I had at the time. So this was a significant investment for me. And, you know, it was, uh, it, it was important that it went right. And, you know, it didn't go right. So did you syndicate that one or you had joint venture partners on it? I syndicated that one. I had a few investors since, uh, you know, it was a relatively small purchase. I mean, compared to what I'm buying today, today's stuff we're buying is 20 million and up mostly. This was like less than 2 million. So, you know, it only took a few people to fund the equity needed for it. But all these people were, you know, friends and family and people I knew fairly well. Uh, that uh, that provided the capital to close. So the issues, was it just not being able to collect rent because people couldn't pay? Like what, what was being taken to school? Fill that out for me. Yeah, so it started out with, um, you know, it actually started out well. You know, my plan was to uh, renovate the units and increase rents and, um, you know, and, and ride it all the way back up and, you know, maybe sell it for double in three to five years. But instead what happened was uh, we, we were well on the way. We were renovating units. We brought the occupancy up from about, I don't know, it was like 70 or 75% or 80, maybe as much as 80 when we bought it. We got it up to 99% occupied. You know, we were renovating units. We were getting like a hundred and something dollars more per unit on the renovated units than the non-renovated units. Everything was going perfectly. And all of a sudden in late 2009, you know, the whole thing just came crashing down when Lehman Brothers collapsed and Bear Stearns collapsed, the stock market collapsed and, you know, got cut in half. And that resulted in a lot of people losing their jobs. And as people started losing jobs, they started, uh, they stopped paying rent. And when they stopped paying rent, they either got evicted or they skipped or they moved out. And I used to joke, you know, my, my joke at the time was that, you know, about six months later, uh, half the units were empty and the other half weren't paying. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. So, but like, how'd you fix that? Uh, not very well, actually. It, there really was no fix. We started cutting rents. We started offering concessions. I, I started off with like a half a month's free and then it was a month free. And, um, you know, we a hundred dollars off, you know, we were doing all these different things to try to get occupancy built up and it just was really, really slow to build. And it, it took a long time. Uh, it took about, you know, it, it was at the point where, the property was generating just enough income to pay the expenses. It would pay the uh, payroll, the utility bills, uh, and the uh, property taxes, and that was about it. There was no money left over at all for debt service. So first of all, you know, we had to fix the situation going there. So, you know, the, the approach we took is, you know, just as I said, you know, offering concessions and all that and trying to build up occupancy and increase income, that wasn't working very well. The second problem was is that, uh, the lender, of course, wanted to get paid their mortgage payments. And, you know, they aren't going to wait around for that kind of thing. So we had to we had to come up with a plan really fast. And, you know, there there's only really 
three options that I could think of at the time. And, and one was just to hand the keys to the bank and say, here, foreclose on it. You know, we, you know, it's not making enough money. That was not a good option. I had never had any foreclosures before. I'd never had a late mortgage payment before, you know, in all the deals I'd done and I'd done hundreds by this point, I'd never had an issue like that. And I, I didn't feel like now was the time to start. So the second option was to go to the investors and ask for a capital call where I ask everybody to contribute more money so that we can patch the deal up and, and float it. I'd never done a capital call before. And, you know, my investors didn't have a lot of money. I mean, you know, they were friends and family and they invested what they could, but, you know, they didn't have, you know, deep pockets to be able to float this for too long. So I didn't like that plan. So the only plan left was for me to write the check out of my own bank account and pay the mortgage payment. And, and I thought, you know what, I can do this. It, it was $15,000 a month. So I wrote the check and I thought, you know, you know, this probably won't last long. We'll get through this pretty quick. Uh, it was about uh, three years, maybe three and a half years later when I finally wrote the last mortgage check. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investors. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now, let's get back to the episode. I had no idea it was going to take that long for the economy to recover, but that's how long it took. Uh, so I made the mortgage payment out of my own pocket for about three and a half years to keep that property afloat while we got occupancy back up, income back up, rents back up, you know, employment was back up. Uh, and it was a, uh, it was a tough, tough road. So were those structured as loans to the property? Like you got to make sure you get your cash back out. I, I'm not great at math, but that's a pretty big number. Um, it was, it was, it was over 400,000. Uh, well over 400,000 when, uh, and, and, and consequently, that's more money than the investors had in equity. I literally could have just paid the investors back out of my own pocket and probably have had less money out of pocket and let the bank foreclose than to keep the deal afloat. But I thought it was really important to make good on all of my obligations. I'd never lost investors money before. I wasn't about to start. I'd never defaulted on a loan and I wasn't about to start. So the only thing I could do uh, was, was make the payment myself. And you know, you're right, as it, as it turned out, I had more money in the deal than my investors did when it was all said and done. I structured all as, as interest-free loans. I just loaned money to the company. I didn't charge any interest on it. Uh, and and that's, that's how we got through it. And that's why you're a thought leader in a space. That's phenomenal. And I imagine anybody who was in that deal who tells that story, has people lining up to place capital with you. I mean, that's well, what you know, it, it's true. It allows me to say, you know, here I am a number of years later, I've been doing this for 30 years. You know, I can say we've never lost investors principal and, and we've done 730 deals and, you know, a hundred million dollars of investor money, half a billion in real estate and, you know, multiple market cycles and never lost investor principal. So I couldn't make that claim if I didn't do what I did, you know, and of course, it taught me a lot of lessons. And at the end of the day, it actually all came out okay. It took, you know, the, I thought it was going to be a three to four, maybe five year hold. It turned out to be a seven or eight year hold. By the time we sold it a couple of years ago, 
uh, you know, the market had come back and, you know, we sold it for a great price. It made enough money where not only did I get every dime I put in back, but my investors got all their money back and my investors even got a small profit for their trouble. So it certainly wasn't the profit we all wanted, but considering uh, what we went through, it was a, a darn good outcome, I think. Wow. So is there anything that you would have done different? It's interesting because you bought this thing out of foreclosure. And at first I was like, well, he didn't have any debt on it because of the situation that he walked into. But then you mentioned you had some debt. And so I thought maybe this was an all cash purchase. Is there anything you would have done different going into that deal? Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot I would have done different. I mean, one of the, one of the things that hurt the most was the debt that was on the property. So the, what happened when this went into foreclosure is the, uh, the lender placed the property into receivership. And then they, uh, when they sold it to me, they allowed me to assume the existing loan and then they haircut the principal because the property wasn't worth as much. So they lowered the loan amount, but still, when you look at the loan amount as a, um, as a percentage of my purchase price, it was pretty high. I mean, it was probably 90 or 95% of my purchase price the lender financed for me. So we got in with very little money down uh, and the rest of the money was, that was allocated to be used for uh, you know, the uh, upgrades and improvements we were going to make. And so you know, I learned that having, having debt like that is very, very uh, problematic. And you know, so now when we buy we use very low leverage, you know, we'll go in and we'll put uh, 35% down frequently and get a 65% LTV loan. We also raise all the money in addition to that for um, the improvements that we're going to make. And so we just use a much more uh, moderate and sensible leverage point. So I think that was the big one is, you know, don't use so much leverage. That's probably the biggest lesson. The other lessons were, you know, things like I, I think I underwrote to a like a eight percent vacancy factor. Um, you know, the market at the time was about a four and a half when I bought it. Uh, I underwrote to an eight, thinking that was conservative, and it was nowhere near conservative enough. Uh, so now our our underwriting tools are far more sophisticated than they used to be. I look at the stuff the spreadsheets I used to use. And it reminds me of like a yellow notepad or a back of a napkin. I mean, it was so unsophisticated. And at the time I thought it was state of the art, but you know, what we're using now is so much more sophisticated and allows us to forecast so much better. And, and we use so much more conservative assumptions where, you know, now it's not uncommon for us to have, you know, at 12 or even 18% economic vacancy factors in markets that are performing at like a 5% vacancy factor. We also uh, look at a lot of different um, calculations that tell us how much dry powder we have, like uh, debt coverage ratios, default ratios, and different things that tell us how far can income fall before we find ourselves, you know, at a, at a break-even point. Uh, and, you know, those are things that I didn't put as much emphasis on back then. You know, you think, ah, the property's going to make money. It always will make money. But what if it doesn't? <laughs> you know, you learn. This is amazing. Um, and so my final question is, what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? Words of wisdom. Well, you know, we're, we're sitting here in the midst of a, a global pandemic as we're recording this. So we're seeing now another economic uh, challenge ahead of us and take the lessons that I learned from the last economic challenge and apply them to this one. Be careful when you buy, 
uh, use uh, conservative leverage, uh, use conservative assumptions when you're underwriting, never worry about being too pessimistic and always know that it's so much easier to get into a deal than it is to get out of a deal that you need to get out of. And if you think of it that way, you'll be very careful and treat real estate investing it for what it is, which is like handling a loaded weapon. It has a great purpose, but it can injure you if improperly handled. And that's, that's what real estate investing is really all about. Wow. The thing that I probably like most, but you didn't say it but in words, but you did in action. My reputation is worth more than money. Reputation is everything. Without reputation, you have nothing. That's what people are investing in. People don't invest in deals. They invest in people. So if you want to raise money from people to invest in deals with you, they have to trust you. And that means you have to, you have, to have integrity and character and, and treat their money better than if it was your own. And if you can do that, you can raise capital even in a down climate because I did it. You did. You did. Brian, I'm, I'm really grateful that you came on and shared with the listeners today. Um, just grateful that you made time, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Jerome. All right. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.